we live in a sex-saturated society. So is it any wonder that many of us struggle with lust? We desire to be free, but we don't know how to stop. Building a life of sexual purity does not happen overnight, and like any building project, it is always best to use the right tools for the task. Well, this is the Point of Purity podcast, a weekly study filled to the brim with all the tools from Scripture you will ever need to build a lasting life of biblical purity. Each and every episode is designed to help you discover how to skillfully handle the Word of God as you choose to live in freedom. Well, I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry. Welcome to episode 118, entitled, Staying a Mile from the Vile. Psalm 119, verse 37 says, We are to turn our eyes from looking at worthless or vile things. Let me repeat that. Psalm 119.37, turn your eyes from looking at worthless or vile things. In Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3, the psalmist declares, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is vile, or in other words, anything that is worthless. Here's why I open with those two verses. When you and I choose to set before our eyes a vile thing, in other words, We're looking at that which is good for nothing. It's unprofitable. It can only lead to destruction. We are also automatically exposing our mind to those things, to those vile things. And let's face it, when exposed long enough, your mind will become accustomed to what you're seeing. Your thinking process will then become distorted. This in turn ultimately alters your actions, your attitude, your behavior. King Me has once again stepped into the enemy's trap. That's why in Psalm 25, verse 15, David says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net or out of the snare. What you see impacts what you think, and what you think strongly influences what you say and what you do. Now, if you've been following this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me say this over and over and over again, and I make no apologies for repeating it again here. What you see strongly impacts what you think, and what you think has a very powerful influence on what you say and what you do. So let me ask you, what are you choosing to look at? What are you daily choosing to expose your mind and your heart to? What, uh, what, what programs do you allow to be viewed on television? What do you watch or view or listen to on your smart devices? What movies do you permit yourself to look at and to watch? David said in Psalm 101, verse 7, No one, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Psalm 101, verse 7. In light of that verse, in light of that declaration, I have a question. Are you letting those who practice deceit and speak falsely to stand and and live in your presence? Are you letting your eyes see things that are exposing your mind to things that are harmful to it? Things that are subtly and almost imperceptibly influencing your thinking? slowly but ever so surely drawing you away from that closer walk with God 
in a life that honors and glorifies your heavenly creator and savior, your father in heaven. You see, Paul urges us in Romans 16, verse 17, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Now, as we dive deep into this episode, I can probably guarantee, not probably, I can definitely guarantee that some of you listening are going to disagree with me about this. And and you're welcome to disagree with me. I personally think you'll be wrong, but you personally think I'm wrong, and, and that's okay. Just just listen me out. Because there are some that, that claim that watching TV or going to the movies is just harmless Hollywood entertainment. I, I'm mature enough. I, I'm, I'm able to tell the difference between what's happening on the screen and what happens in real life. But let me challenge you to carefully, very, very carefully reconsider that stance. Let me clarify before you say, okay, I'm not even going to listen to this episode because Steve's talking heresy here. Just just hear me out, please. Give me the the honor and courtesy of listening me out because I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm not saying don't see a movie. I'm not saying don't play computer games or, or anything like that. What I am saying is just like Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 21 and 22. We need to test everything and then hold fast to that which is good, and then abstain from every form of evil. We need to hold on only to those things that are going to glorify and magnify Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are not from the Father. They're from the world, 1 John two fifteen and 16. In Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So can you do that? Let me, I'm serious. Think about this. Can you truly love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, while at the same time you're filling your head and your heart with the world's philosophy, the world's version of entertainment, and the world's way of coping with life, the world's definition of pleasure. Let's face it, in the final analysis, anything and everything you see that takes your love and focus away from God and from His Word and from doing His will doesn't belong in your life. I know I'm taking a hard line, but think about this. Our purpose in life is to glorify God. Everything I think, everything I say, and everything I do should bring Him honor and glory. So what am I exposing myself to? And how is that helping me fulfill my goal, my purpose in life? Don't forget, Jesus Himself said in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23, that the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body is going to be full of light. But... If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Let me reemphasize, let me reiterate, let me restate that what we see impacts what we think, and what we think strongly influences what we say and do. That's why Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So, I want to challenge you to think about the typical shows that you watch on TV or the typical movies that you attend. 
I want you to consider the typical websites that you tend to frequent. What kind of company are you allowing into your mind through the television, through the movies, through the, the computer? Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15.33. If you allow your eyes to see that which does not glorify God, then you are allowing your mind to think on things that do not glorify God. The end result is a life that will not glorify God. So as the children's song says, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Always watch what you watch. Now let me... Let me take a moment here and appear to rabbit trail. It's not really a rabbit trail. It's going to seem like it for just a moment. You see, I am increasingly concerned over the things that we as Christians, as born-again believers, are allowing into our homes through the television set. Now, I know I'm running, uh, running the risk of walking out on a thin branch or on thin ice for some of you, but before you brand me a religious nutcase, think I'm too legalistic or restrictive and brand me a heretic, Please hear me out. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Imagine for a moment you're in church on Sunday. The music part of the worship service is finished. Everyone has been drawn into the presence of God. The pastor gets up and he stands behind the pulpit. And he's introducing a three-week mini-series on the importance of good communication within marriage. So to help illustrate... He begins a role play. He's, he's going to act. He's going to play the part of the husband. And because for whatever reason, the pastor's wife, maybe she's sick or maybe she's too shy to be on the platform, the church secretary is playing the part of the wife, the, the husband's wife. So the pastor's the husband, the church secretary's the wife. And as they act out this first scene, as it unfolds, an argument has just taken place between the married couple. The husband, your pastor, initiates a conversation that de-escalates the situation and calms things down. Once the, the differences are settled, the husband, again, your pastor, wraps his arms around the wife, the secretary, and the husband and wife on the platform, acting out this, this scene, engage in a long, drawn-out kiss right there on the platform in front of everyone. They're kissing. Are you picturing the scene as I'm describing it? Are you reacting negatively to that? Oh, you should be. Why? Because the pastor and the secretary are not literally married. <laughs> That's assuming this church secretary isn't actually the pastor's wife. And because they're not married, they have no business hugging and kissing each other, even if it is just acting. Am I right? You should be incensed at what's happening on the platform behind that pulpit. Let's continue the scenario. The, the pastor steps back behind the pulpit and preaches a little bit more, and the stage crew is changing the scene. And as, as Act 2 opens up, the scene is quite obviously a bedroom. The husband, again, your pastor, and the wife, his secretary, are now in bed under the covers, propped up against the headboard, deep in conversation. Her head is on his chest, and, and he's running his fingers through her hair and kissing her forehead. Hold the horses, you scream. Wait just a minute. That is wrong. That's sinful. The pastor should be fired right then and there on the spot. They're not married. I don't care if it's just acting. They have no business doing that, especially in church, on a Sunday, in front of the congregation. 
And you know what? You'd be right. Now, here's my point. Again, please hear me out. Why do we deem it to be wrong on a Sunday morning in church and yet label it okay the rest of the week when it comes on the television in the privacy of our own homes? Why is it wrong? Why is it sinful to sit in church and watch a scene like I just described between two actors, the pastor and his secretary, but it's okay to watch the same scene unfold on our television set or a movie screen between two individuals, two actors who are not married in real life. What's the difference? Now, my, my, my purpose in this is not to focus our attention upon the duplicity and the double standards as much as it is to point out the subtlety and the divisiveness and the deviousness of our enemy. What are we allowing to enter into our heart, into our minds, as we sit mindlessly enjoying a TV show? Again, in Psalm 25, verse 15, David declares, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. In Proverbs 4.25, Solomon says, Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze, let it be straight before you. I want to submit that through those verses I just quoted, God is saying that you and I must always, always, always pay close attention to what we see. We must consider very carefully the things that our eyes are observing. Remember, that which enters through the eye gate strongly influences what you think, and what you think impacts what you do. So again, I want to repeat the the tough but important questions that I believe demand an answer. What are you daily allowing your eyes to see? What kind of images are you looking at, both digitally and in real life? Where do your eyes tend to linger and why? Listen, never forget, never forget that everything you see has a powerful bearing on everything you think, which dictates everything you do. This is why God says we are to look directly forward. Our gaze is to always be straight before us, never to the left, never to the right. Now, hopefully you agree with me and you understand that that verse isn't being literal. God isn't saying it's wrong for your eyes to literally look to the left or literally look to the right. I mean, if that were so, I kind of doubt he would have created us with that ability. So what exactly is he saying when he says, look directly forward, your gaze is to be straight before you? Well, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, God says this, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go, Joshua 1, 7. In other words, stay faithful. Stay true to God's word. Don't allow yourself to deviate from it one little bit. God says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 14, Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. I think God's instructions are pretty clear, don't you? Joshua 23, 6, Be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left. So I want us to consider again Proverbs 4.25 in light of the verses that I just read to you and the understanding that we have of looking straight ahead. The command from God is clear in Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look straight ahead. 
Fix your gaze directly before you. Our focus, our attention, the things we think about are to be centered upon the Word of God and the will of God. So how are you doing with that? When you and I daily choose, moment by moment choose, to make our relationship with the Heavenly Father the centerpiece of our attention, God, listen, God and God alone will influence and will direct your thinking. And therefore, your behavior will be that which glorifies Him. And as Psalm 25 verse 15 says, that's when He will pluck your feet out of the snare. Now consider this. What happens when you stay focused on that which is directly in front of you. Like like the blinders on a horse, you're not going to be distracted by other things that have the potential of drawing you off the path to the left or to the right. You're not going to see that, that, that lure dangling and tisling off to the side, trying to pull you away from your single-hearted devotion to Christ. Deuteronomy 5.32 says, Be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. The psalmist declares, My eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Psalm 141, verse 8. So I want to submit to you that that which should be always directly in front of you is Jesus. When you're choosing to look at porn, when you're choosing to lust after another person, listen, your eyes are definitely not on Christ. They're on King Me. That is why you get drawn away. That is why you get caught up in the snare of the enemy. You're not watching where you're going. Oh, my friend, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep the focus of your heart on God. And when you do and as you do, you will not step into the enemy's snare. I find great significance in the fact that our eyes are to look straight ahead. Not to the left, not to the right, but straight ahead. Again, we're not talking about our physical vision. We're talking about our spiritual vision here. The psalmist prays in Psalm 27, verse 11, Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. I think the psalmist's prayer here is that God would instruct him on the direction he should go. Teach me your way. So I have a question for you. Is that the prayer of your heart? May I suggest it should be? Lord, teach me your way. Lead me in a straight path. I also want you to notice that he's asking God to lead him, to guide him in a straight path. And I want to suggest, in fact, I want to declare that the only path, listen now, watch this, the only path that God will ever lead you down is a straight one. His promise in Proverbs 4, verse 11 is this, I guide you in the ways of wisdom, and I lead you along straight paths. I think that's why Proverbs 4, 25 is telling us our eyes are to look straight ahead, because that's where God is. That's the direction where God is leading. When you choose to allow God to lead you, when you keep your eyes fixed on Him, stayed upon Jehovah, when your gaze is always looking straight ahead at God, here's what will happen. Listen as I read to you Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 15. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then, 
when your eyes are firmly fixed on God, not King me, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. For example, looking at porn and sexually acting out in a sinful way. Delivering you from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Proverbs 2, 6 through 15. Now, that's powerful stuff. In fact, let me challenge you, instead of just listening to me read that, would you invest the time, maybe even right here and right now, to open your Bible to the book of Proverbs and invest the time to read verses 6 through 15 and truly meditate on what God is saying? Now carefully consider what Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him. And what will happen? He will make your paths straight. In other words, keep your focus on God. He will make sure you are walking the straight path, the one that will always, always, always glorify him. Investing time daily in the word of God will provide you with wisdom. It will give you understanding of what is right, what is just, what is fair, and it will show you every good, every straight path that God wants you to walk. Not only will it show you the path, but it will show you the snares of the enemy and how to avoid them. Okay, we're going to hit the pause button here till next week's episode. And now, if you'd like to learn more about today's study, or, or if you're interested in learning more about the Pure Man Ministry, and more specifically, how we can help you live in freedom from sexual sin, would you be sure to visit our website? There is a multitude of resources available to you. You can find the website at The Purity Coach. It's all one word, thepuritycoach.com. Now, <laughs> I've been waiting all, all episode for this. Before I close out the episode, I have some very very exciting news to share with you. So drum roll, please. Come on, somebody do it. Drum roll. It has been 11 years in the making, 11 years in the production of this, and I am now excited. I am pumped to announce the release of my latest book. It's called The Point of Purity Workbook. It's available on Amazon. And this workbook, The Point of Purity Workbook, is the accumulation and the culmination of 11 years of coaching and mentoring and counseling men in the area of sexual addiction and purity. I have created a 12-week curriculum, a 12-week Bible study. The Point of Purity Workbook is a 12-week study of God's Word. And it's focused completely on equipping and training men and women in how to overcome lust and porn and, and, and masturbation. Throughout the workbook, you and your accountability partner or your small group as you work through this, you're walking through the scriptures together, sharing from God's word how you can be free. Each and every week of the 12-week program, you are equipped with powerful tools from scripture that will help you not only be free, but live free. You'll learn in this workbook and in this study how to effectively change your thought process when you're faced with temptation, not just sexual temptation, but actually any temptation, all temptation. You'll discover how to submit yourself to God, to stand firm against the temptation and successfully resist it every single time. 
So the Point of Purity Workbook is a 12-week journey through Scripture to help you discover the point of purity. Why should I be pure? What's wrong with a little forbidden pleasure from time to time? As long as I'm not hopping in bed with someone, isn't that okay? You'll also learn how to get to the point of purity, how to live daily in freedom and victory over temptation. You see, the problem we struggle with is not lust or porn or sexual temptation or really any temptation. That's not the problem. That's the byproduct. The real problem we struggle with is a worship disorder. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Whom are you worshiping and why? I do what I do because in my heart I want what I want. I can't change the behavior until I change my heart. And the Point of Purity Workbook is geared to, in this 12-week program, walk you through the scriptures to help you answer the all-important question and discover how to dethrone King Me and allow God to be Lord and leader of every part of your life. So, be sure to visit Amazon.com today and get your copy of the Point of Purity Workbook. And if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, let me encourage you, do so today. You don't want to miss any of our upcoming episodes. So until next time, this is author, national speaker, and purity coach Steve Etner reminding you, if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, He must first be glorified in your every moment thinking.